these words again from James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people, people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This message is about the taming of our tongue. Have you ever had the occasion to say to God, Lord, please, please, please get control of my tongue. Get control of my voice, my words, and help me to say those things that are right and good and helpful to people. I confess to you that I have said those words on many, many occasions. Many occasions. I'm a talker by nature, and that opens up a whole realm of problems. My tongue has been a constant source of difficulty for me. Now, may I kindly suggest that while you may not have pleaded for relief from the Lord as I have, You probably should have. You probably should have. And I know that I can say that with all truthfulness because these words in this passage, they are a scathing indictment of every person's tongue. No exception. Each and every one of us are plagued with this wretched affliction. Our tongue is a continual source of defilement of ourselves, and also dishonoring to the Lord. And we really do need to know how we are to deal with it. Now, yes, I do realize that my saying these words goes in violation against the grain of many of the modern-day psychologists, and especially even also against many, at least, of the humanist-thinking church leaders and preachers. According to them, we are never to criticize one another, and especially from this pulpit. We're to lovingly affirm each other and affirm each other's behaviors. 
And I really do always want to lovingly affirm you as a person. And especially as a fellow believer in Christ. But listen, there is far more to this Christian life than our always trying to keep each other warm and fuzzy and affirmed. Here in these words, James is giving us real warnings about how we talk, how we engage with one another in our conversations. Too often we do affirm those things that we should not affirm. We commiserate with our friends on problems that they're having when they don't need us to commiserate. They need us to help them, to give them good counsel. Now here we're being reminded that instead of always trying to do that to affirm people, that we're to be careful. Careful about what comes out, especially of our own mouth. We can't control much that's going on in another person's heart and coming out of their mouths. But you and I have some control. But we have to determine how from these Scriptures to acquire that and to use it. These Scriptures, especially the ones that we just read, they tell us very clearly that each of us has this naturally occurring and naturally recurring sinfully vile and reprehensible tongue, full of poison and flaming fire. And if we keep letting our tongues have their own way, that fire, that poison will destroy everything it touches, beginning with our own souls. Verse 6, The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. The demonic world is involved in those conversations that we're having. Jesus went ahead in Matthew 15 and gave us this clear warning. He said, The things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those things defile the man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slander. These are the things which defile the man. Those things coming out of our mouth, crossing our tongue, setting on fire the course of life, they come from our heart. How often have you heard this sweet advice on some television program or movie where one person says to another, just follow your heart. If you don't know what to do, just follow your heart. Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't do that. He's warning here that our heart is not the innocent and trustworthy source that we might think it is or want it to be. It is instead a haven for all sorts of evil thoughts and plans and behaviors. And that's not a new revelation to us. Back in Jeremiah chapter 17, we're told the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked and asks the question, who can know it? Who can understand their own heart? It's so deceitful and desperately wicked. So what does this tell us? You and I, really do have a naturally occurring problem. 
one that is bred into our human condition of birth. We didn't have to be trained up to it. It came in naturally. Our hearts are desperately wicked. And out from our desperately wicked hearts flow all manner of defiling conversation and behavior. And left unchanged, left unchanged from this inborn condition, our heart and our tongue will continue to spew forth every one of these things that Jesus spoke about here, these evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and slander. There's an old saying, we have met the enemy, and it is us. It is us. It is our own hearts. So then, as we engage in this study this morning about all these many words that we say each day, and also about the way that we say them, because that has so much to do with the meaning of the words that pour forth from our mouths. God wants us to know that our words have power. They have real power. And we can't deny that understanding. Our words have power to heal and to help, but also our words have power to hurt and to harm. And unfortunately, as these words are telling us, too often those words that pour forth out of our mouths, they do harm. They do harm. Now here using some very simple and descriptive language so that we'd not misunderstand. And I really do like the way God has given James these words. They're very clear. They're very plain warnings. He says in verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide the whole body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large, they're driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member. Yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. These are metaphors so that you and I can understand just a small phrase within a sentence can set a fire a blaze that can just destroy so much. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among many members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Gives these examples of birds and reptiles and they've been able to be tamed. But no one can tame the tongue. Verse 8, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. It's almost as if God is assigning a a life force to our tongue. With our tongue, verse 9, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Over in 1 John, the Lord tells us there, don't say that you love the Lord and don't love people. He says it can't be. That's what he's saying here. With one side of our mouth, we bless God. But with the other side of our mouth, we curse people. From the same mouth comes blessings and curses, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. And he asks the question, does a spring, and this is important. This is an important analogy being given here. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh 
and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a small pond yield fresh water. These are simple words so that you and I could grasp these meanings. But do we? Do we just quickly read over them or do we grasp them fully? Are we able to humble ourselves enough to recognize that God is really talking about us with these analogies? You personally. You personally. Me personally. Now consider conversations by nature involve at least two people. Often more. Each person's mind gets involved in the matters that are being discussed. While one is talking, the others are listening and they're receiving the things that are being said. And along with the words that are being said, there are always these contributing factors. I mentioned a moment ago, voice inflections, mannerisms, the rolling of the eyes, expressions on the face. All of those add up to what those words mean to the ones that are receiving them. Understanding and misunderstanding. Now, in a lot of those conversations, many of the people will be in general agreement. But just as often, just as often, one or more of those people who are listening, they're not in full agreement. When that takes place, disagreements then arise. And again, not just from what's being said, just from some of those mannerisms, those voice inflections. Anger starts to develop. Or what we do is simply add on to what we had heard the last time from them and keep an anger fomenting within us. But here, the Lord Jesus gives us a deeper meaning to what rolls off of our tongue. Back there in the verse that I read to you, he, says, he tells us that the real source of all that flows forth from our tongue, our voice inflections and our mannerisms, they all come out of the heart. They all come out of the heart. And while many of us have genuinely loving hearts and, and uh, we might not want to necessarily offend people or, or put bitterness into their heart, our heart seems to have its own way. It is deceitful and desperately wicked. And again, we might not have this conscious intention of being unkind or offensive. Our heart will still have its own way because it has its own nature. And those conversations can have little cleverly inserted cuts and jabs and criticisms. They influence the other person. They provoke them disagreements that can last a lifetime. Do you have people in your life that you avoid? Why do you avoid them? Why do you not want to talk to them? Is it because of something that flowed off of your tongue to them one time and then they got angry at you and they don't want to ever come back as a friend? Or is it something they said to you and you won't go back to them? And again, you complete innocence. You can say, oh, it's just the way I say things. It's the way I offer my opinion. Well, if you want to know what I think, maybe they don't want to know what you think. Those words with the inflections added in and the mannerisms, they become what he 
calls here in these words this small spark that it ignites a flame, flames of hurt and offense. One writer wrote, our words of our tongues, they breathe out the breath of our soul right out of the depths of our hearts. And we're not even able to discern what's actually going on within our own heart as we say those things. That's what the last part of Jeremiah seventeen nine says. Our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I didn't mean to say that the way I said it. Expressions like that's why I have pleaded, Oh Lord, oh Lord, get control of my tongue. A random conversation can become this small spark that will ignite flames of discord, have destructiveness that causes arguments that never get back under control. In this example here, our tongues become like that small rudder that's able to direct the course of a giant ship. Our words can take us down a path that we will wish we never traveled. Broken hearts, broken relationships, broken marriages. favorite preacher of mine, Sinclair Ferguson, had this to say regarding the tongue. He said, Our tongues were given to us as a gift from God so that we can praise and worship Him with shouts of joy and love. But too often our tongues that were intended to praise Him, instead they speak words of anger and deceit. He goes on to say, Our tongues have great power, able to help, but also able to hurt, and sometimes very badly and and long-lasting. But as James says here, Sinclair Ferguson says, we must learn to master our tongues. We must learn to master our tongues. But these scriptures are saying, how can we do that? How can you master such a formidable foe as our tongue? How can we tame something that is untamable? Sinclair Ferguson says, the taming of our tongue can only arise out of a foundational unity with Christ this deep abiding relationship with Him from which words then can flow as a continual unction from the Holy Spirit. Our then saying only the words that God's Spirit would have us to say. I like what he has said there, Sinclair Ferguson. Because we are told in verse 8, no human being can tame the tongue, that it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Well, if it can't be tamed, how do we arrive at where we need to be? I was reminded of this, these secular efforts that we hear about, especially in, in recent years. There's programs called anger management. Anger management. And I have seen on news reports where anger management classes have been mandated by courts for some people in some attempt to quell their out-of-control tirades of anger. Now granted, to some degree, those programs might be helpful, especially the fear of possibly having to go to jail. But there's no real cure. There's no real cure that can take place by human efforts. We know that. The scripture is clear. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil 
full of deadly poison. Why is it that that cannot be done by secular efforts or through a lot of efforts on your and my part? The reason is that the cure runs so much deeper and it's far more complicated than those secular psychologists would like to have us believe. Verses 11 and 12, I mentioned a moment ago, bring to light how deep this problem is. That the problem that we have that flows out of our tongues and causes all this problem comes from a deep difficulty that's part of our nature. Part of our very nature. He says here in verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? He's saying whichever the nature of that water is, that's what's going to pour forth. Salt or fresh. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? If that is a fig tree, it's going to produce figs. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. If it by nature is a salt pond, it cannot give fresh water. And so the Lord's implying here that it is our nature that is the problem. It is inherently sinful and corrupt and unfixable, unrepairable, because you cannot make that salt pond not be a salt pond. It is unfixable. We are unfixable in our old nature. The only remedy that Scripture calls for, the only remedy for that sinful nature is that it simply be done away with. Our old sinful nature has to die. Has to die. Like a a rotted building that cannot be fixed, crumbling and falling down. It needs to be done away with and a whole new building put there. And that's what the Lord says to us about our sin nature. Our old nature has to die and a new nature be reborn within us. God describes that in Ezekiel 36 where He talks about our wicked hearts and how we need to have this old heart of stone removed and a new heart put within us. And then He wants to put a new spirit within us there it tells us. And then He wants to put His spirit within our spirit. And nothing short of that complete change out of our nature, our heart and our spirit can bring about this change that God desires here. Nothing can change this tongue of ours except that we have a whole new nature come in to replace the old one. We must be, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, we must be born again. That's the beginning. And that's the intention of what God is telling us here in the book of James. For us to become the person that God wants each of us to be, there needs to be a complete change out of our heart. And from that change then can come what He's been talking about here in the book of James. We can have the faith and the works to combine to start carrying forward this image and this face of God that He desires you and me to represent. And this mastery of the tongue that he's talking about here is a perfect example of the works of love that will come forth out of us by the Holy Spirit and enable us. How do I know that? How do I know that? I only have me to really know about these 
things as far as experiencing it. But I do know that I'm experiencing these things in my own life. And though I'm not yet able to to really curb my tongue as I need to and as God intends, I really am so much more aware today of how difficult my tongue can be hurting others and, and causing me so much difficulty. And I have a deeper desire today than I've ever had to have a tongue that's under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about with this mastery. I do want that same thing for you. That kind of desire. Because it can only come from the indwelling Holy Spirit within us. Let me give one last thought and we'll close. As God replaces your and my desperately wicked heart with a whole new heart of flesh, a change really does take place. It really does. Or else we have not been saved. We have not made that step over into salvation. But when we have, when that desperately wicked heart has been changed out for a new one, you and I will then be able to develop this loving and obedient abiding relationship with Christ. And then it's then, as Sinclair Ferguson was saying, it's out of that relationship that whole new conversations are able then to flow. Conversations that are pure and holy filled with continuing unction from the Holy Spirit. More and more we'll be able to say the things that the Holy Spirit wants us to say. And I just have one thing to say to that. Praise the Lord because that's what I want. That's what I want for me and that's what I want for you. So praise the Lord. Let's pray.